0: starting a home and then go to a school and a cafeteria and now has uh, been able to purchase a building and a a place where we can be. Just God working in us and through us and in that we can rejoice. Um, We have done many things to help you remember this day. Uh, I've I've asked the men who've been here really the longest at Rock Valley Bible Church to come and to give the testimonies that you heard. Um, We have... um, Decorated downstairs, there's uh, some cake after our service today, uh, just to try to help uh, kind of be a festive mood today. We planned some special music, um, but due to the, the snow, we had to cancel that, because um, my dad couldn't be there, and Toby, your voice didn't sounded so good, so maybe next week you can pray for that. Uh, I have a couple special musical numbers, it'd be nice. Uh, many of you children, you all are going to remember this day, it's kind of the first day uh, that we, we came to Rock Valley Bible Church and all the neat hiding places, right, that there are, Nathan? You're really excited about that. And just all the nooks and crannies to explore would be a, a, a great day. And and I know, I, I think it was about a week and a half ago, I was talking with Stephanie, my seven-year-old, and, and she was talking about the church, and, and she said, do we have benches at the church? I said, yes, we she was so excited that we have benches at the church rather than the plastic chairs we've been used to. Um, And some of you adults may be enjoying the benches right now, but don't enjoy them too much, all right? So we'll we'll try to do what we can. Um, Well, let me just say, as good as this day is, I I don't want us to pay too much attention this day other than today. I mean, we can look back at this and say, hey, it was a day to celebrate, a day to remember, but it's not a day which we ought to fix our attention upon. I mean, a year from now, I I don't want you to have this conversation that says, oh, December 12th. Right, 2010, that was a great day remember that day, yeah. we were so happy we are in the building for the first time Everything's was peaceful, I, well, wasn't that a great day uh, I, I don't want you to really think about this day in that, in that regard, because living in the past is not healthy and we need not to live in the past we need to look forward and I want you even today, to think about looking forward to the day when we are gone from this church building Maybe all of us in this room. None of us left here in this church building. and Maybe we've moved on to another place. Um, but I'm even talking about, even if we moved on to another place, when we're all gone. So I'm talking about 30 years from now. I'm talking about 50 years from now. Uh, I'm talking about when we're no longer around. I, I I want you all to look forward to that day. I'm looking forward today to that day when I can hand over the pastoral role to another man to take the church. And perhaps that's when I am too old to barely walk, and um, that would be a, a great day. But looking for that, that day, I want us to, to think about there. And here's a question I want for us to deal with this morning. Is what are we going to leave for the next generation? I mean, what sort of church will it be when none of us are here? In other words, what sort of legacy will we leave? I was talking to a pastoral friend of mine uh, this past week. He's... Um, He's in another state uh, and they recently just purchased a building, moved in, I think about a year and a half ago or so, into a new facility. And he told me that kind of his mantra to the people of his church has, has been this, is, is to really think about what's going to happen beyond us. He says, let's build something here that's going to outlast us. Let's build something here that's going to continue long after we are gone. And what he's trying to do with that is just build people into a bigger vision of what's, what's taking place. Now, certainly we want to enjoy Rock Valley Bible Church and we want to enjoy the grace of God and we want to extend His glory. But we are, as the song says, a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow. And I want us to see Rock Valley Bible Church really that is bigger than we are And I want us to seek that. I want us to seek something that will last long after we are gone. And so, my driving question for us this morning is this, what sort of legacy will Rock Valley Bible Church leave in the next generation? That's really my heart and my burden here this morning. In recent weeks, we have been uh, preaching through a sermon series uh, called Growing Up. And just in many ways, we as a church are are growing up. I addressed the issue of moving in here to church building two weeks ago. We are growing up in a facility, and uh, I urge you then to be spiritually-minded people who ask God to do great things, and we glorify God in this building. May may He use this building as a tool for His glory. Last week, we looked at growing up in leadership, and I presented before you three men, Phil and Darren and Ray, as uh, future leaders, two elders and another deacon, uh, to join the, the, the the team here uh, to lead all of you, and so just we're growing up in leadership, we're expanding there. And uh, this morning, I want to continue the Growing Up series with continuing into a legacy. Now a legacy is what you hand on to the next generation, and today as we think about enjoying this place, I want to think about handing it on to the next generation. What will our legacy be? What will we hand off? To the next generation? What, what will outlast us? What will the future of Rock Valley Bible Church hold? Because I believe that a vision of the future will help us live today. Like, for instance, uh, last, last Sunday afternoon, our family went to a, a production by Christian Year Theater um, entitled A Christmas Carol. And uh, I'm sure that many of you know that story. It's about Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, grumpy old man, lived his life in frugality, living only for himself and for his riches. And then one Christmas Eve, he was visited. Children, do you remember who he was visited by? Rachel, do you know who Ebenezer Scrooge was visited by? No? Stephanie, you know? Who was he... Yeah, sort of. Maybe some other can help. She's a little cloudy this morning. Yes, back there. Who did she visit by? Right, right there. I don't know your name. You're visiting with, uh, with Carl and Carol. Yeah, Joseph Marley. was visited by him. And then three other people came. Who were the others? Yep, three ghosts. The ghost of Christmas past came and showed Ebenezer what he was like when he was a little child. And he was a delightful little boy, a happy little boy. And then the ghost of Christmas present showed him some of the the places like the Cratchit home where they were happy even though they had nothing. And some ways that even they were praying for Mr. Scrooge. And then in the future, he showed his neglected tombstone that he was just gone and done, uncared for, unkept. And what happened to Ebenezer Scrooge? Remember? What happened, Stephanie? He changed. He changed radically. And one of the things as he was looking at his own tombstone, Charles Dickens writes of how, how Scrooge was asking of the ghost, he said, Are these shadows of the things that will be? Or are these shadows of things that may be only? And, and the ghost didn't answer his question. He just looked at the tomb and he, he's saying, well, in other words, can I change the future? Is, is there something I can change? And so he didn't ever have the answer to that question, but he set about that day to change. And he changed from a grumpy old man to a, a kind, tender-hearted, joyful, compassionate man. And so what changed Scrooge? A vision of the future and a, a vision of what things may be changed him. And so likewise, I think if we have a, a vision of the future at Rock Valley Bible Church, it would help us. It would help us to know if God would do something great here that even in difficult times, we'd persevere because we know what the end would be. Or if we even see things heading the wrong way, a vision of the future will help us to seek the Lord, to, to change our paths to church and help direct us. Now, I do believe a look in the future will help us at Rock Valley Bible Church. And, and if we knew how things would end... Oh, that would help us. And we knew things were going. We could seek their change. Now, I don't know what, what holds the future for Rock Valley Bible Church. I, I don't. I'm praying mightily that God would bless us greatly. I'm praying that God would do something that would last longer than any of us, for sure. But I don't know for sure what will take place at Rock Valley Bible Church. But, but I have good news for you this morning, is that we do have an inspired vision of what happened to some churches. And so open your Bibles, the book of Revelation. We're going to look this morning at two entire chapters of the book of the Bible. We'll look at Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. These chapters contain letters written by Jesus Himself to, to seven churches that existed in the first century. And uh, through... Through the book of Acts, we can see that some of these churches even were existence for more than 30 years. It's as if this is the second generation. This is, this is after the church was planted and after it grew. Then this is, this is what was happening to the church as they were seeking to pass it on to the next generation. And Jesus basically is addressing the legacy that they were leaving. And some turned out well and were leaving a great legacy. And some were quite bad and were not leaving a good legacy at all. And I think as we as a church think about our legacy, how good it would be to say, okay, here's seven churches, and here's the legacy of Ephesus, and here's the legacy of Smyrna, and here's the legacy of Pergamum, and here's the legacy of Syatira, and as chapter 3 talks about, here's the, the legacy of Sardis, and here's the legacy of Philadelphia, and here's the legacy of Laodicea. Now, Rock Valley Bible Church, which course are you going to chart? What's going to be your legacy? What church are you going to be like? And what is encouraging for us here in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is that though these were written to specific churches, they are written for us. In fact, that's how the Bible is. The Bible is not written to us. The Bible is written for us. And especially these churches. If you look here in chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus was speaking to the church in Ephesus, but He says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 29. You can help me here. Everyone in the chorus. Verse 29. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Chapter 3, verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Everyone together. Verse 13. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I know that many of you who have an opportunity to hear and read these words aren't going to be the original readers. However, if you've heard these words, if they've come into your ears, please heed their warnings. Because these words are for you. And this morning I say these words are for us, Rack Valley Bible Church. If a ghost would show us the future, one of these futures really is ours. And so what I want to do this morning is we're going to just walk through each of these um, churches. We're going to listen to them. We're going to learn from the examples (coughs) of them. And I hope that we will chart then a right course as we leave a legacy at, at Rock Valley Bible Church. Well, so this morning, let's look at the church at Ephesus. And, and by the way, as so we look at these, let's see the things that are commendable and pursue those things and let's steer clear from those things that are objectionable. And I think of no better message and no better counsel for us this first day in this building to think about what may be. As we go through these, really I'm just gonna point out one point of application for each each church. Alright? It's really the core of the application to each of them. First off, let's begin with the church in Ephesus. He writes, chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who is holy, I'm sorry, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, and by the way, you can go back to chapter 1 and see that uh, John had a vision of one standing in the middle of the lampstands. Chapter 1, verse 13, he was like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. That was Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus says this, The church at Ephesus, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And trust that you can see here in Ephesus how many things were commended. Upon this church. Verse 2 says that they had righteous deeds. Verse 2 says that they were laboring. They were persevering. They were discerning, putting the test those who call themselves apostles and finding them to be false. They had endurance. Verse 3, for the name of Christ. They were tireless in their labor. They weren't growing weary. All these things are very commending of them. And let's heed the counsel. Let's heed the... And let's be like Horatius Bonar who said, Go labor on. Spend and be spent. It's 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 thy joy to do thy master's will. It is the way the master went, should not the servant tread it still. Go labor on. Spend and be spent. And that's what they were doing here in Ephesus. But fundamentally, you need to know that God's not looking for laborers. God is looking for lovers. And the problem is Ephesus, they left their first love. That's my point, my first point. Admonition to you. Let's Rock Valley Bible Church not lose our first love. Don't lose your first love. Verse 4. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Jesus here is telling them at Ephesus that they used to love, but they don't anymore. They've lost their love. They're like a marriage partner who once loved his wife and then left for another woman. And just as that one forsakes his wife, so also the one who leaves the first love forsakes his God. Now, the difficult thing here in this verse, verse 4, is that we don't know exactly what love Jesus is here referring to. Was He referring to an upward love for God? Was He referring to an inward love for the church? Or an outward love for the lost? And people spend time arguing each of these positions and, and there's good points on, on any side. We don't we don't really know. I don't think it really matters in some sense because maybe Jesus was being intentionally vague and basically telling us that you have had a love and you've lost it. Let's restore that. At least that's where our application is for us, because the call here is to love. Love to Jesus, love to one another, and love for the lost, for sure. And so, have you lost your love for Jesus? We kind of taken him for granted, or realize that he is he's your all, he is everything. You first save, you first come to Christ. You just you can't believe all the blessings you have, and yet the blessings that come often come to be expectations later. Maybe that's where you are. or Maybe you've lost your love for your fellow believers. There can be times of hurt in your life, which is hard, but restore that is what the call here is. Have you lost your love for the lost who are, who are lost in their sins and in need of a Savior? And we need to do at Rock Valley Bible Church basically is cultivate our loves. Cultivate these three loves. Cultivate a love for Christ by being in His Word and by, by praying depending upon Him day by day. Cultivate our our love for the church by spending time with others in the church, by reaching out to them, by serving others in the church. Cultivate your love for the lost by thinking of the reality of where people are without Jesus. Facing a Christless eternity. Away from God. Facing His wrath forever. Pray then for those without Christ. That's a way to develop a love and foster a love for them. Now, the scary thing here in Ephesus is that they were doing so well. They were, they were working and laboring for Christ. They were orthodox, testing the apostles, and yet they didn't have a love. And, and I say, Rock Valley Bible Church, for the next generation, let's hand, on, let's hand off to them a church that loves. Let's do that. After all, this is the first and foremost commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second is like it, Jesus says, to love your neighbor as yourself. And indeed, without love, we as a church are nothing. First Corinthians 13 says that. Paul said in First 1 Timothy 1, 1.5 that the goal of our instruction is love. So of all the teaching, of all the epistles and all the Bible, I mean, the aim and the goal of that is that we would be loving people, that we would love. So if you're lacking, let's seek the Lord and ask Him to give you a heart of love. Let's leave a legacy of love. It's what Ephesus teaches us. Because they'd missed it and then are facing the rebuke of Christ, calling them to repent, verse 5. And do what they used to do. Or else He says, I'm going to take your church, I'm going to take your lampstand, which represents the church, and take it out of its place. And may that not take place at Rock Valley Bible Church. Alright, let's move on to the second church. Smyrna. Verse 8. And to the angel of the church at Smyrna write, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. In other words, the One who is the Alpha and the Omega who died, Jesus, has come to life and raised from the dead. Jesus says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy are those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He overcomes, will not be hurt by the second death. Now, I read these words, and I'm thankful that they're not written to us. You catch what I mean? I'm thankful they're not written to us, because we're fortunate here to live in America, where the church has practically complete freedom. We don't face the pressures of physical persecution, like other countries around the world feel, the threat there in Smyrna was martyrdom. And it was very real. Look at verse 10 again. Do not fear. Because they were, they were fearing. Their, their faith in the Lord caused them to fear because they were about to suffer. He says, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Basically saying, you're going to suffer. But don't fear that. He says, here's how you're going to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. And these are being cast into prison because they're Christians. And he says, The purpose of that is so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. They're going to be in prison. They're going to be tested for 10 days. After those 10 days, they're going to die. I think some of this testing is probably torture, is what's taking place here. I think you might be able to read between the lines and say it like this You'll be in prison so that you'll be tortured and you will have torture for ten days. But stay true in that torture because they're eventually going to kill you. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. Now, I think what happened here in Smyrna is that the church was wiped out of the town. Everyone in the church killed, wiped out. And, And technically, they left no legacy because you can't leave a legacy to anybody if there's no one to leave a legacy to. Um... However, this is always the case, you show me a martyr, I'll show you ten believers coming right behind that martyr. It's always the case. As Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because a cause worth dying for is a cause worth living for and people see that and will follow after that. And anytime government launches a wave of persecution upon the church, the church will always grow stronger. Always. Always. And I'm sure the church at Smyrna left a legacy. We just don't know where it is. But somewhere it was left. Maybe in the government officials. Maybe something else was started there. But if Rock Valley Bible Church wants to leave a strong legacy, may we be like Smyrna and be faithful. I think that's a good point of application for us. In fact, that's the core admonition to this church. He acknowledges their poverty in verse 9. He acknowledges their struggles. He calls them to be faithful. And I say this, wherever we are, whatever we do, Rock Valley Bible Church, let us be faithful. Let's believe in Christ. Let's trust Him and let's walk in light of that reality, even when things are difficult, because things were difficult for these believers. First of all, it says even in verse 9 that they were poor. They didn't have any financial resources. But, he says, you're rich, probably because he says you're rich in faith. And furthermore, the people were blaspheming God in their presence. If anything makes your blood boil, like it does mine, is when people are blaspheming God in my presence. And they were, they were suffering of that. They said, they're not real Jews. They're a synagogue of Satan prancing about. And they were experiencing persecution. And so I say Rock Valley Bible Church. However things go, when things get hard, when things are rough, let's be faithful. Because the truth of the matter is this, is that when your faith is tested, you get to see whether it's the genuine real thing or not. What the book of First Peter spoke about. You greatly rejoice, even you know, now, for a little while, if necessary, you've endured various trials. So, the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is parable, may prove to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the pressures of the outside are just demonstrating the authenticity of your faith. And so, the pressures that we'll face at the church will be different than Smyrna, but pressures will come. And I just say, may God help us to be a faithful people. May we leave a legacy of faithfulness to those who come after us. That we might receive the commendation of Jesus to Smyrna. Well, let's press on. We've seen a decent church in Ephesus. We've seen a great church in Smyrna. Now we're going to see a bad church, quite frankly, in Pergamum. Verse 12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name, and did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But, and there's almost always a but in all these letters, I have a few things against you, because you have some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him overcomes. To him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Now, this is the kind of message that ought to put a healthy fear in us. This church at Pergamum. Because Jesus commends them for being faithful. I mean, everything I told you about the church at Smyrna, to be faithful, these people were faithful. Look at verse 13. He says, I know you're in a difficult place. You live where Satan's throne is. Whatever that means, it's probably a a demonic stronghold all around. And he says that you all hold fast my name. You're continuing on, even in the devil's workhouse. And, and he says, you've held fast my name. You did not deny my faith, even the days of Antipas. Antipas was a Christian in Pergamum. He was my witness, my faithful one. Here was Antipas, a faithful one in Pergamum, who was killed among you. Even when... Church members were being killed. You remain faithful. And we might say, wow, what a wonderful thing. But don't forget the but. The but is, is terrifying. Because, basically, they tolerated false teaching in their midst. They were faithful in some things, but very unfaithful in others. And they needed to repent, Jesus said, verse 17. He was not pleased with them. They tolerated false teaching in their midst. They didn't test their teaching like those in Ephesus did. Chapter 2, verse 3. Instead, they tolerated it. Here's my admonition to you. Don't tolerate false teaching. And I say this because this was the main admonition of Christ's words. Verse 14, right? Here's what I have against you. Some hold the teaching of Balaam and some, verse 14, I'm sorry, um, verse 15, who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Basically, they tolerate the false teaching. And what they're leaving to the next generation is uh, false teaching, which won't bear fruit. And if we had the time, we'd go back in the Old Testament, read the account of Balaam in Numbers 22-24 through 24, and see how he dealt fast and loose with God's Word for personal profit. Probably people like that here. If we had the time, we could try to dig with the error of the Nicolaitans... Is It's difficult. There are some testimonies of history, perhaps, of who these people were. We, we don't know a lot about them. But, I just say this. We have enough in the text to give us a hint of what was wrong with these teachings. And here's what was wrong. Is that uh, with false teaching came sinful living. In fact, false teaching is always accompanied by sinful living. At the end of verse 14, we see that the teaching was leading into immorality. And it was leading into putting a stumbling block before Israel. Eating things sacrificed to idols. Basically engaging in some idolatry as well. So, idolatry and immorality. And we'll see this theme coming up in Thyatira as well. We're taking place here at Pergamum. Yeah, maybe they were faithful in some. And maybe some were faithful. But there was idolatry and immorality just coming and being welcomed into the church. And I just say this, false teaching is always followed by sinful living. And teachers may sound sweet, they may sound convincing, they may be charming, there may be a measure of God's Word mixed in there, but look at their lives, because when you see the lives of teachers, you see what it is they really believe. Look at your life, and you'll figure out what you really believe. And the many in Pergamum were following this false teaching, and following this false example of the teacher's, And they were called to repentance in verse 16. And and such is the sorry state of this church. Lots of religion going on, but still need of repentance. So let's forsake false teaching, Rock Valley Bible Church. Stay, Stay true to the Gospel of Christ, that we're saved by grace through faith. And everything we do flows out of love and faith and trust in God. There's nothing we do that's meritorious. Well, I want to tie this a little bit also to Thyatira because the same thing is happening in Thyatira. These are like sister churches, if you will. Verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? The Son of God, here's Jesus, whose eyes are like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance. And that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. We'll come back here, but I trust you see the same things. Things are going well, tolerate false teaching, immorality, idolatry. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. That is the leader, the woman leader here. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira. And here we see a little bit of a remnant. There's parts that are here and parts that aren't. Those who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have hold fast until I come. He overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give him authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a the rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He was near to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In this case, here in Thyatira, we see the same thing in Pergamum, just guised in a different garment, different players. The outcome's the same. Rather than Balaam and the Nicolaitans, rather we have Jezebel. It's like the Jezebel of old, she was leading many astray. And the same deed's coming out. Immorality, idolatry, verse 20. And the call here is the same. Forsake the teaching. And forsake, I think is probably close to, forsake the false living that is associated with that false teaching. And just try to vary things up here. My fourth point is not only forsake false teaching, but forsake false living as well. Because those two things are both tied up in both these churches. And, and if, if we want to leave a legacy at Rock Valley Bible Church, we need to, need to be those who practice what we preach. I mean, that, that's not just me, that's you all. Let's practice what we profess. You can put it that way for the pew. Our preaching needs to be biblical and our, our living must follow. And the hope for Thyatira comes in Verse 24. That there were some, as I talked about, I, I call them a remnant, they, they didn't hold this teaching, which is a, a good thing. So you have a, a church basically that's divided, but you've got the church and the leadership going one way, and you've got some who are in Thyatira attending church as the only church in town. And here they are, remaining faithful, and, and Jesus commends them. You've not known the deep things of Satan. You've not held their teaching. You just continue on. I place no other burden on you. And perhaps even that remnant is who he's talking about in verse 19. Those are the ones who have the deeds. Love, faith, service, perseverance. And their deeds are, are increasing. We don't know. But there are many here who are following the false examples of spiritual leaders. And the whole church was suffering as a result. And I just say this. By God's grace, may we at Rock Valley Bible Church leave a legacy of sound teaching and sound living. Alright, fifth point. So we look at another church just to see the future and where it is that we want to go as a future and learn from these churches. Sardis, chapter 3. To the angel of the church at Sardis, right? He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Again, that's Jesus. He's got these things all described in chapter 1. I know your deeds that you have a name that you are alive but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you do not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." He overcomes, will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He goes near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The point of application here in Sardis is simply this, be alive. I thought about saying be real, because we'll see how they're not being real. they got a name one way, but the real is something else. But I think be alive is, is good enough, because the problem here is that they, in Sardis, were a dead church. You see they're right there in verse 1. He says, you are dead. Here's the alarming thing about the church in Sardis, though, is that they didn't, they didn't have a reputation for being dead. We can think of a dead church as a church that like, nothing happens there. There's like tombstones around and like, hardly anybody comes. There's just heart echoes through the whole place. And we just say, hey, that's a dead church. But the, when the people talked about Sardis... The people in town about that church over there, it had very much a reputation of being alive because it says in verse 1, you have a name that you are alive. You have a reputation that you are alive. When the community spoke about the church, they were delighted. The church in Sardis had their approval. There was activity at the church. There was enthusiasm and excitement. Might I even say it was a spirit-filled church. Lots of things going on because they had a name that they were alive, yet the reality of the matter was they were dead. People said they were alive, but Jesus said they were dead. And when it comes to the legacy that Rock Valley Bible Church will leave, I'm going to ask you, what do we want? Whose reputation are we after? Are we after the reputation of the people in the community? And you know, by the way, it's so easy to be men-pleasers, to live for reputation in the community, rather than to be living for God and for His approval alone. Jesus teaches that. Live for God and His approval alone, right? When you pray, go into the inner room. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you fast, don't, don't, don't make yourself look like you're fasting right. Do what you do before God and Him alone and have your reputation there before God because I think that we want the reputation of Jesus Himself despite what people think. And the way to do that is be alive. And, and I say this, be, be truly alive. That's what we want to be. Be truly alive. Or, or wake up. And maybe if you're slumbering in a spiritual sleep, I just encourage you to wake up. To wake up and see the realities of Christ. To live in your life that you've got an inner joy that flows the love of Jesus. Now how could it be that there, this church was dead? If it, if it had such excitement, if, it, if there were a reputation being alive, how, how could it be dead? Well, verse 4 we see how it's dead. It says, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. So, if there are a few people who have not soiled their garments, help me with the logic here, there are many who have soiled their garments. I think, again, it's a case a little bit like Pergamum and Thyatira. There's false living here. There is sinful living. Now, we're not detailed into exactly what their deeds are, but they just soiled their garments. They're walking in a wicked way. They're They're sinful. And in that way, they're not dead. Oh, well, there's lots of activities going on, but they're sinning on the side. They're dead. So let's be alive—not merely in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of God—that we can pass on a, a church to the next generation that's alive. May God look upon us and say, "There are many at Rock Valley Bible Church who've not soiled their garments." And the promise—if we don't soil our garments—are glorious. Glorious. And they will walk, verse 4, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. This really calls us to think forward about seeing people walking in white. Chapter 7, verse 9. We see the great multitude coming out of the great tribulation. From every tribe, and people, and tongue, and nations are standing before the throne, for the Lamb. They're clothed in white robes, and they're worshiping the Lord Jesus. And when John saw that and was asked who these people are, he said, I don't know. And one of the elders said, I'll tell you who these people are. Chapter 7, verse 14. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I think this is the issue there. People have washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. They've not soiled their garments. Oh, oh, sure, maybe, perhaps there's sin, but it's coming again to the, the grace of Christ. And Christ is, is cleansing them all the time with His blood. And that's, that's where we need to look. He will, Jesus will, wash our robes and make us white so we can walk pure before the Lord, so we can walk worthy before the Lord. And then we can be genuinely alive. And may this be the reputation of Rock Valley Bible Church from God's standpoint. Let's not give a hoot what the city says. Let's care what God says about us and may we be alive. If we are genuinely alive, people will know it and people may not like it because people hate God. But as people see us alive, may they at least see the reality of what's taking place. Well, next, let's go on to uh, Philadelphia. By the way, a few weeks ago, when I came back from Nepal, I don't know what I was smoking. I, I talked about this being Philadelphia. Philippi. So if that makes sense to you, you just let that pass. So that's a, that's a big error. But anyway, this is Philadelphia. It's not Philippi. All right? You can look that up later. But here, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This and Smyrna are the two churches that uh, stand out far above everything. Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens, says this. Again, this is Jesus. These are the words of Christ. Verse 8. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie... I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He overcomes. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God in my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, someday we'll be able to walk through this verse by verse like we're used to, take a Sunday on each of these churches, but today we're, we're flying through. But I want you to note that Philadelphia, the church here is a small church. It says there in verse 8, they have a little power. I don't think they had a big church. I don't think they had a bunch of people. I don't think that they were particularly influential in the city. I don't think that the leaders in the church were very well known in the city. I don't think the people in the church were very prominent or powerful or shakers in the community. Because it says here they have a little power. So they had some, but I think it was, it was small. They, they, weren't, they weren't a megachurch. They weren't, weren't going gangbusters. Yet they were faithful. Look, look at how uh, verse 8 continues on. Um, You have a little power, but you've kept my word and have not denied my name. And like the church at Smyrna, they too were a faithful church. And we can easily give that admonition as well. Let's be faithful like Philadelphia. But we'll see some other things here. But what a great legacy to leave the next generation. Oh, we didn't have all the power in the world. We didn't have all the influence in the world. But you know what we had? We kept God's word. And if we can even pass that on to the next generation, that would be a wonderful thing. We have God's Word and we cling to it. We didn't deny His name. But the blessing of God was upon this church, even though they weren't big. Look what it says here in the first half of verse 8. He says, I put before you this open door which no one can shut. And that's because they've got a little power and have kept His Word. And God says, I've got this door open for you. And you say, What's the door open? Well, three times in Acts and 1 Corinthians 16 and Colossians chapter 4, it speaks about an open door as like an opportunity for ministry. So somehow they had some kind of opportunity, open door ministry that they were serving, maybe in the community, I'm not exactly sure. But God said they'd be a fruitful church. Maybe not fruitful in numbers, but fruitful in some ways. They kept His word, didn't deny His name, that God would accomplish His purposes among them because He wasn't going to shut the door on this church. He was going to keep it wide open. Now, with the church in Philadelphia, trouble is brewing, not inside the church, but outside the church. Some tribulation was coming. But, because of their trust in the Lord, it says God will protect them. Verse 10. Because you have kept my word, the word of my perseverance, goes back to verse 8. Because you have trusted me and persevered, I will keep you from the hour of testing which is about to come upon the whole world and upon those who dwell on the earth. Here's my point of application for Philadelphia. Let's... Let's trust God's ways. Let's trust God's ways. This wouldn't be our ways to have a, a little church and a small church has little power. We're faithful. God keeps us small. And then persecution is going to come upon the whole earth, but he's just going to protect us and keep us. That's not our ways. We want we want things to go smooth. We want things to go well. But that is God's way. And I just say this many churches in America have turned from God's way of simple faithfulness in seeking more and more power, more and more influence, more and more authority. Churches across our land want to get bigger. They want to have more power. They want to have a bunch of people. They want to have influence. And that's okay. But if you sacrifice God's Word and the truth, the glorious Gospel, to get that, you've missed it all. And what door was maybe open there, God will slam shut. You may have a lot of people and you may have a lot of influence, but you may have lost your faithfulness in the power, in the process but here in Philadelphia, we see the opposite. We see a faithful church who in the sovereign plan of, ha- of God continue to keep small. In fact, it's going to bring persecution upon them, a difficulty, a time of testing. And like the church in Smyrna, it's very interesting here in Philadelphia, Jesus says nothing bad about this church. All commending. And I just say, as we think about our next generation, we're all gone. What kind of legacy we leave at Rock Valley Bible Church? May we leave a legacy of people who trusted God's ways and what God said they did, and they remained faithful to Him. That's the best gift we can give to another generation of a church. Finally, church at Laodicea. And I'm quickly running out of time, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, verse 14, to the angel church of Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, again that's of Christ, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Not good words there. Not good to be spit out of the mouth of Jesus. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness shall not be revealed, and that I self to anoint your eyes as you may see those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The amazing thing here in Laodicea is God in Philadelphia spoke no bad. Here in Laodicea, he speaks no good. Even the dead church of Sardis has some commendable things about it. You have some there who have not soiled their garments. But not here in Laodicea. In many ways, I think this church was completely useless. Taking up space. It says, because you're lukewarm, i spit you out of my mouth. And The admonition for us here, obviously, this morning, is don't be lukewarm. And there's some who look at this phrase lukewarm and basically say, hey, we need to be on fire, right? We need to be zealous for Christ. We need to pursue him and be passionate. And uh, there's lots of good sermons come out of that. I just don't think that's what, exactly what Jesus was meaning here. Um, because Jesus wouldn't say, I want you to be cold dead or I want you to be fiery hot. But lukewarm is really bad. He's not saying that. Rather, historical context, Laodicea is right in the middle of three cities. There's Hierapolis, about seven miles away. Um, You can think about it like Colorado Springs, a lot of natural hot springs, very medicinal, hot water boiling up. A lot of people would go to Hierapolis, sit in the pools and and be helped in their knees and their joints and everything like that. And then there's another city down the road, Colossae, you've heard about that, about 10 miles away, where the water that flowed from there was fresh and pure and cold and drink it right out of the ground. The problem with the Laodicean water, those probably maybe got some sulfur from Hierapolis, maybe. Awful tasting it wasn't, good enough. it wasn't any hot for medicinal purposes, but it wasn't cold enough and pure enough to drink. It was useless. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And so, likewise, the church at Laodicea was just totally useless. And the admonition to us is, don't be useless, don't be lukewarm, but let's serve the Lord with gladness. You must say, well, how can you be useless? How can you be useless in the hands of God? Here's how. Be proud and be arrogant. Verse 17. Look what they say. I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I've of nothing. Now, who says that today? Who says, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I've of nothing. Who says that today? Americans say that today. This is like the American church in many ways. In the broadest scale. Hey, we don't have anything. I've often thought before about this is why the, the church in America is so weak. Who needs God when you're rich and have need of everything? And don't have need of anything. Who needs God? Nobody needs God if you're rich and wealthy and don't need anything. The typical American doesn't realize that we're wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. But that's really where we are. We are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. But the good news is this verse 18, Jesus counsels them okay, you're poor. Buy from me gold and become rich. You, you're, you're naked? Well, buy from me clothes that you might put them on. You, you can't see? You're blind? Well, here, give you, I'll give you some eye salves so you can anoint your eyes. And so you won't be wretched and miserable any longer. And that's where many of us here are. That, that we have realized that we're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind and naked and have come to Christ and He's clothed us and He's made us rich. A little bit like Smyrna who was in their poverty, but Jesus says, though you are rich, He's given us His riches in Jesus by faith in Him. And I just say, may this be the legacy that we at Rock Valley Bible Church leave to the next generation. That we know we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. But that's what's caused us to trust in Christ. Because He is magnificent, and He is joyful, and He is rich, and He gives us sight, and He clothes us. Clothes clothes us. That's the glory of the gospel, which we must stand as a church. So our hope is built not on our own righteousness. Our hope is built on Him who will give us everything we need. But that's the core of what we need as a church. Let's build our hope upon Jesus Christ and upon His righteousness. And let's pass that on to the next generation. Oh, let's learn, church family, from these churches in Revelation that we might not be like Ebenezer Scrooge and get to the end and realize what a wretched end we've been and try to change really fast. But let's today set a course and chart a course that will cause Jesus' commendation to the angel of the church of the Rock Valley Bible Church, right? And all the commending things. I know your deeds. You love me. You serve me. You've trusted me. You've founded me. You're all. What a testimony that would be, right? May that be our, our legacy? Well, as we close this service, we're going to end with a, a song that speaks of our legacy. Just want to even go over the words for you. We've sung it before, but just want to walk through them with you just so we might sing them with greater passion. It says right there, "Let it be said of us that the Lord was our passion." And here's what we're looking at. This song is looking at what I'm calling us to do is to, to look toward the day when we're gone. And let it be said of us when we're long gone that God was our passion. That with gladness we bore every cross we were given. That we might be like the church at Smyrna and be faithful unto death even through the difficult times. That we, like the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, Second Timothy 4, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I have kept the faith. And how do we do that? Because of our own strength? No, we know that because of the power of of the risen Lord be within us. And the only way to do that is the next phrase there, right? Let the cross be our glory. And may the Lord be our song. By mercy, may God make us holy. And by His Spirit, make us strong. And may the likeness of Jesus be through us made known. May the cross be the glory and the Lord be our song. Well, the next stanza even speaks about our forgiveness. That we are found in Christ. That our reputation among us was love. That we were not proud and arrogant people. We're known for our meekness. That the the peace of Christ rules us. That we would be a unified people as we're joined in one body Christ that He may be all. So in fact, I'm just going to step aside and have uh, Ryan lead us in this song and may that be our final prayer.